All right, welcome again to Grace. We're, we're really pumped that you're here. And I always come believing that God, the Holy Spirit, has something for us that is encouraging, that may be challenging and stretching, but is also meant just for us as he speaks to us by his spirit through his word. Well, have you ever played the game, Two Truths and a Lie? Do you know what, do you know what that game is? Yeah, some of you have played that before. It's really a fun game, especially when you're getting to know people for the first time. The way it works is you throw out three statements. Two of them are true, and one of them is a lie. It's not true. And so the fun thing is to try to guess what are the truths and what is the lie. Well, I'm gonna play that game with you guys today. In just a moment, three statements are gonna appear on the screens, and I want you to vote for which ones you believe are true. I want you to vote by applause, all right? Now, as we get started with this, I just wanna make sure your hands are working, so, so let's try this. If you're happy to be alive, would you just applaud? All right, yes, we're happy to be alive. Woo, good job. All right, so I know your hands work now. Are you ready? Here are the three statements. One is, my favorite country in which to preach was Slovenia. My uncle murdered two people and paid a penny. And my family raised catfish in our pond. Two of those are true. One of them is a lie, all right? So are you ready to vote? You're gonna vote by your applause. Only applaud. And this is for everyone at Half Moon. I want you guys to be involved. Everyone at Saratoga, I want you to really be enthusiastic. Everyone at Latham. Those of you joining us online, hey, stomp your feet, man. Have a ruckus as you vote for these. Only applaud for the ones you believe are true. Are you ready? Here we go, here we go. Here's the first statement. My favorite country in which to preach was Slovenia, if you believe that's true. All right, all right, good. A lot of applause there. Second statement. My uncle murdered two people and paid a penny, if you believe that's true. Okay. Not so sure about that one. Sounds a little wonky there. My family raised catfish in our pond. If you believe that's true, whoa, all right. Thank you for voting. You did a great job. Well, are you ready for what the lie is here? The statement up here that is not true is the first one. My favorite country in which to preach was Slovenia. So you guys really got fooled because I think that had the most applause, honestly. I've never preached in Slovenia. So, and some of you are sitting there wondering, you mean that is true? Yeah, it actually is. That's another story for another day. But I think you ought to give yourselves a hand for playing. You did a really good job. All right. Two truths and a lie is a fun game but it's not so much fun when it's real life. Have you ever been around someone and you just didn't know when they were telling the truth <laughs> and when they were lying? You, you just weren't sure you could trust the things they said. Well, that is really difficult. I knew a politician once and he was a lot more predictable than that. They said if you really studied his body language, you could tell when he was telling the truth and when he was lying. For instance, when he stood really still like this, 
you knew that politician was telling the truth. Or, or for instance, when he rubbed his ear, telling the truth. Or when he folded his arms like this, telling the truth. But when he opened his mouth, he was lying, okay? <laughs> now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches a powerful lesson about truth speaking. Let's look at it together from Matthew chapter five. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. By the way, some people in that culture would swear by heaven or by the earth, for it's his footstool. Some people would swear by the earth or by uh, Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. They would swear by Jerusalem because it was this holy city of God, the city of David. And he goes on, do not swear by your head for you cannot make even one hair white or black. That is your natural hair color. You have, you have no control over that. The natural color, the natural color. Yeah, Clarol may have something to say about that, but yeah. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, what is that all about? First of all, let me just be clear. When Jesus talks about swearing here, this has nothing to do with using expletives or four-letter words or having what we would call a filthy mouth, okay? Now, there are other passages in Scripture that would speak to that, like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, and many others, but Jesus is not talking about that at all. I hope we're clear about that. It's a completely different issue here. To swear in that culture, to make an oath, meant that you pledged your promise by someone or something bigger than you that what you are saying or are about to say is actually true. So let's ask the question, what is the real issue here? What is Jesus really getting at? Well, there are a group of Christians who believe the real issue here is Jesus never wants his disciples to stand in a courtroom, place their left hand on a Bible, raise their right, and affirm this, do you hereby swear that the testimony you were about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, I do. Some Christians believe that that's what Jesus is teaching. He said, come on, who believes that? The Quakers, the Amish, and the Mennonites in particular. And because of the religious liberty legislation in America, they are not forced to swear on a Bible in a courtroom, although they regularly give testimony in a courtroom, they are allowed just to simply affirm that they are telling the truth but not swear to it because they believe that would be a violation of Jesus' teaching here. So that's what some Christians believe it means. Now, although I greatly, hear me, I greatly respect their desire to obey Jesus, I believe that that interpretation is excessively literalistic, and I respectfully say I think it misses the point. Now, let me quickly explain to you why I say it misses the point. First of all, because the Old Testament 
never forbade the taking of oaths. A couple of examples. Deuteronomy chapter 10, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. In other words, when you take an oath, take it in the Lord's name. Or let's go on and look at Numbers chapter 30. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. So in other words, the Old Testament did not forbid it. The apostle Paul comes along in the New Testament. He certainly didn't believe that oaths were intrinsically wrong because he regularly in his letters will say things like, I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. He regularly says things like that. So he obviously didn't believe that oaths were inherently wrong. But beyond that, did you know that God himself swore oaths? Did you know that? For, for instance, in Genesis 22, he, he's interacting with Abraham there. And he says, I swear by myself. Now, by the way, God can't swear by anyone or anything bigger than himself. Would you agree? So since he can't, he has to swear by himself. And that's the consistent message of the Bible. He swears that he's gonna be faithful to the covenant he has made to Abraham. And by the way, he made other kinds of promises. He swore in Genesis 9 not to bring another universal flood. He swore in Luke 1 that he would send a redeemer. He swore in Psalm 16, verse 10, that he would not allow his holy one to see decay, but that he would raise his son from the dead. So God himself makes oath. One more reason that I believe that interpretation of the Quakers, Amish, and Mennonites is a little misguided is that Jesus also made a statement under oath in a court setting. We read in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, as the high priest is pummeling him with questions, it says, Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And under that setting, courtroom setting, under oath, Jesus says, yes, it is as you say. So I hope you get the point. Scripture does not teach that oath-taking is intrinsically wrong. The real issue here is that the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day had turned oath-taking into sort of a sophisticated way of deceiving people. If you wanna get a sample of this, I would urge you uh, to pick up a copy of the Mishnah. The Mishnah uh, was written over a period of four centuries. It's like a Jewish code book. It was written from about the second century BC to about the second century AD. And I read this week in here, there's a whole section on oath-taking. Now, if any of you have insomnia, if any of you are struggling with sleeping, I've got an antidote for that. I, I, this is so tedious. But here, here's what you'll find if, if you do choose to pick it up and read it. And this whole thing of oath-taking, what you'll see is that they had all kinds of little nuances that would allow you 
to kind of wiggle out of what you said. For instance, one rabbi says, if you swear by Jerusalem, it's not binding, but if you swear toward Jerusalem, then you're bound by your oath. So oath-taking had become this horrible little game to let you know when you could get away with deception and when you could not. It's kind of like children today. They'll say something and then go, oh, had my fingers crossed. Had my fingers crossed so I don't have to do it. A business associate in that day might say, look, you said you were gonna back up this business venture financially and invest in it. Oh no, I only swore that by Jerusalem, so I'm not really bound. Jesus comes along in that kind of environment where oath-taking was incredibly common. And he says, look, put away all the ridiculous rules. Just tell the truth period. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Be people of integrity. You shouldn't say, you shouldn't have to say things like cross my heart and hope to die. You shouldn't have to say, oh, I swear on my mother's grave that what I'm telling you is the truth. You see, here's the problem with that. The mere fact that you have to resort to that kind of an oath is an admission I'm not trustworthy. Yeah, usually you can't trust what I, but now you ought to trust me because I'm swearing on my mother's grave that this is true. Jesus says, look, ditch all the oaths, guys. You don't need that. Just be people of integrity. So that is the big issue here. But I want to turn a corner now and ask a different question. One that as Christ followers, we should definitely wonder about why is truthfulness so important to God? Have you ever wondered that? Because truth is a major, if you look it up in a concordance, you will see an enormous number of entries on truth, truth-telling, and truthfulness. Why is it so important to God? I want to suggest two reasons. One is because Satan's native language is lying. Notice how Jesus gave the teaching in Matthew 5. Notice how he said it. Simply let your yes be yes, your no, no. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, if you've been with us in these weeks, you know that consistently Jesus says, look, whatever you do on the outside didn't start on the outside. It started it started somewhere else. It started on the inside. So what we say and what we do is simply a reflection of what's really going on in our soul. As we would say in the South, whatever's down in the well comes up in the bucket, right? Whatever's down in the well comes up in the bucket. So what we really are really shows up when we speak. Now, in another passage, Jesus said something very revealing about the enemy of your soul. His name is Satan or the devil or the evil one. He's called by all kinds of names. He said to some Jewish leaders, you belong to your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he's a liar 
and the father of lies. When Satan goes into default mode, he lies. It's just his native language. Now watch this. You can search the Bible high and low. You can search from Genesis to Revelation and you will be hard pressed to find any time, listen now, when Satan tells a big fat lie. You know what I mean by a big fat lie? A blatant, egregious, outright lie. If you don't believe it, check it out for yourself. As far as I can see, Satan lies, but he does it very subtly. He seldom recorded verbalizing words, but when he does, it's usually a very subtle form of deception because Satan knows there are more ways than one to deceive people. Let me give you a couple of examples. For instance, um, in Genesis chapter three, he says to Eve, did God really say you're not to eat of any tree in the garden? Just a question. Just an innocent question. He's neither affirming nor denying it. Just asking a question. And yet that question is packed with deceptive innuendos. Is God being reasonable here? I mean, come on, Eve. Do you really believe that God understands what's better for you than you do? Come on, be real about it. By the way, Satan still does this today, all the time. It's his M.O., I'll bet that some of you over the last several weeks, if you've been listening to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what I'll bet has gone, gone on in your head, this little dialogue. I'll bet if you've been listening to what Jesus says, I'll bet a little voice has come in your head. Isn't this a little bit unreasonable for today's world? I mean, Come on, do you really believe that Jesus knows what's best for you better than you do? Whose voice do you think that is, by the way? That's not God. In the book called Job in the Old Testament, Satan is having a dialogue with God and he asks this question. Again, this is a specialty, questions that are deceptive. Does Job fear God for nothing? Just a question. But it's designed to throw into doubt Job's motives and his character. So again, Satan's MO is that there's a lot more ways to deceive than just to tell an outright lie. But lying is his native language. And again, if you study scripture, and I I hope you will consistently do that, here's what you'll find about lying. You'll find that whenever someone is lying, it is typically to cover up some kind of corruption, okay? For instance, Cain was the first liar in the Bible. He had just murdered his brother, Abel. And God comes along and says, where's your brother? I don't know. Just buried him, just buried him. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain was lying to cover up his murder. Abraham lied about that, the identity of his wife, Sarah, because he was trying to cover up the fact that, hey, he wasn't supposed to be in Egypt in the first place. He was out of God's will even to be there. Jacob deceived his father, Isaac, 
to cover up the fact that Jacob himself was a usurper, a cheater, and a deceiver by nature. David lied to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five lied to the church leaders because they were trying to cover up the fact that they weren't really as generous as they wanted the church to think they were. The New York Times did a poll and found that 91% of Americans said they lie on a regular basis. And I think that's probably true. So let me just ask you personally, are you a person of integrity? Oh, these are hard questions, I know. But are you a person where the inside matches the outside Because over and over again, we're gonna find in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus probes the inner depths of our souls and he challenges us to make sure the inside matches matches the outside. In the book of Proverbs chapter 12, we read, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men and women who are truthful. We read in chapter 26 of Proverbs, a lying tongue hates those it hurts. So lying is Satan's native language, but I want you to see now the reason this truth thing is such a big deal is because God's native language, God's native language is truth. Isaiah 65, we read, whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the God of truth. He who takes an oath in the land will swear by the God of truth. Two times in this one little verse, he is referred to as the God of truth. I love the book of Revelation. And in this throne room scene in heaven, what we see in chapter 15 And verse three is that the angels are worshiping God around the throne. And I want you to see what they say about the Lord. Just and true are your ways, the angels say. And of course, Jesus himself spoke about truth when in John chapter 14 and verse six, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So God not only is a truth teller, he cannot lie, but truth is his very nature. Now watch this. Whenever you and I come into a relationship with God, by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross, and that's how you get into a relationship with the true and living God, you put your faith in what Jesus accomplished for you at the cross by dying to pay the sin debt that you and I owed. And when we do that, guess what God wants to build in us? God wants to shape us into his image. If truth is God's native language, guess what he wants in us? He wants truth to just ooze out of us. He want, hey, listen, God wants, God wants people called Christians, called disciples, called Christ followers He wants people where they don't need to resort to oaths because they just say what they mean and mean 
what they say. They don't have to swear on their mother's grave. They don't have to cross their heart and hope to die in order for people to believe them. Because watch this, truth is coming from the inside out because they love truth. They're in, they're in love with the God of truth. And so truth becomes increasingly a part of our very nature. The psalmist, David, said something very interesting in Psalm 51. He said, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. <laughs> it's not just an outside thing. You want truth to come from the inside out. The psalmist asked this question in Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? And then he answers his own question in the very next verse. Here's the person who can live in God's presence in intimacy with God. Who is that person? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. Why, do, why does he speak the truth? Because it's convenient? Because it serves his own selfish interests? Because it gets him ahead in life? No, he speaks the truth from his heart because it's true. And he loves truth and the God of truth. So again, let me ask you, as we are here today in the presence of God, as we're listening to God's word, as we're listening and pondering the words of Jesus, we all need to ask ourselves, am I that kind of person? Am I a person who is in love with the God of truth? Because again, consistently in the Sermon on the Mount, we're gonna see that God says, I want the inside and the outside to match. I want your character just to shine through. All right. Final corner. I want to ask the so what question. Every time I preach and teach God's word, I always like to, in some way, even if I don't say the exact words, I like to try to speak to the so what question. Big deal, preacher. Why should we be concerned? Why should we be concerned about being people of truth? Why is it such a big deal? Well, I wanna wrap up today by just quickly mentioning two wonderful reasons why people of faith should be really concerned about truth. One is that truth-telling enhances our relationships. Truth-telling enhances our relationships. I'll say it again, two truths and a lie is a fun little game to play, but boy, when it becomes a part of your family life, it wreaks havoc. It wreaks havoc. Hey, can I go a step further? If it becomes a part of your work life, if you're in an office setting or a setting with other leaders and you don't have trust established where you can really believe that what the other person is saying is the truth and they're not putting a bunch of spin on it, you've got havoc in the workplace. I can say to the glory of God that today at Grace Fellowship, we have the most harmonious staff relationships we've ever had. As far as I can tell, there's more trust among our staff, more good rapport, genuine appreciation for each other than we've ever had in 30 years. Praise be to God for that. Can we just thank God for that? That is awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Love to be a part of a team like that. But can I tell you, several years ago, 
we were in a season where that wasn't the case. And there was all kinds of chaos going on and all kinds of havoc. And I tried to drill down and find out why is that? And here's the message that came through loud and clear. There are some members of this team where there's not a lot of trust. And that seems to be poisoning all these other relationships. And so we went to work and we drilled down and we talked to staff person after staff person and tried to get at what is missing in this, because this culture is sick right now. How, what needs to be here? And we came up with four values. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but you go to any of our offices today and you're gonna find these values up on the wall. Now we have more than this, but these four values were what the staff came up with that we needed in order to fix the trust issue. One was speak truth directly. Two, invest relationally. Three, be humble and number four, celebrate one another. And those are values that we go after with a passion. But to me, it all begins with speaking truth directly. There's a little verse that I wish we would all memorize because it is a dynamite statement from God's word. Here it is. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. In other words, your words are powerful. Your words can make people laugh or cry. Your words uttered from your mouth can create friendships or devastate them. You can give people hope with your words or you can suck the hope right out of them with your words. You can build up or tear down. You can build your marriage or destroy your marriage all with your words. Parents, can I just say a quick word to you? Try to make sure that you follow through with what you say to your children. Because here's what I believe. Unless they learn otherwise from experience, children are just naive enough to believe that your yes is yes and your no is no. Until they learn otherwise, they just trust your credibility. But if they find that you don't follow through on what you say, your credibility suffers and the relationship is diminished. I heard a powerful story some time back from a staff person at the First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. Leslie Holmes shared about a man in their church named Greg Simmons. He was a dynamo, a young married guy, young family, a brilliant business guy, and his ideas and leadership had helped revolutionize the American Life Insurance Company. And Greg was gonna fly out to New York to talk to the executives, the board of AT&T in order to work on a deal, okay, together. And so he flew out to close the deal with AT&T and Greg knew that if this deal happened, there would be slightly over a million dollar commission for himself. Wow, that's a good payday, don't you think? But the day the meeting was supposed to happen with the board of directors, the chairman of the board called and said, something's come up, I can't make it. Greg, can you do this tomorrow? Greg said, sir, I'm so sorry. 
I can't make it tomorrow. Greg said, I've actually got to go back home tonight because tomorrow is my daughter's fifth birthday. And I promised her, I looked her in the eye and I said, honey, I will be there. Now, for Greg Simmons, a promise to his daughter was more important than a potential million dollar deal. He could have justified it and said, ah, that's just insignificant. But what Greg did not know, true story, is that simply a few months later, Greg Simmons would die in a mountain climbing accident. And the memory of a faithful dad who kept his promises was the only thing his daughter would have left. Be careful, parents. Please be careful. Because when you are not faithful in seemingly insignificant things, they may not be as insignificant as you thought. One final word. We should be concerned about truth, brothers and sisters in Christ, because truth-telling enhances our witness for Christ. Hey, I just wanna close with, uh, this is really a wake-up call. And if you're not aware of this, I, I think we all should be on the same page about this because it's reality in our culture. We live in a culture, like it or not, where in the minds of most people, the credibility of Christ hinges on the credibility of Christians. You go, that's crazy, pastor. Oh, it may be crazy, but it's true. You go, oh, it, it, it ought not to be that way. Uh, yeah, but it is. You go, come on, come on, pastor. We're not, ex- we're not asking people to accept Christians as their savior. We're asking them to accept Christ as their savior. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But like it or not, in our culture, the credibility of Christ for most people hinges on the credibility of Christians. In my opinion, there has never been a day when it's more important to be people of integrity than it is today. People who say what we mean and mean what we say. Can I, can I just, to the praise of God, applaud so many of you at Saratoga, at Half Moon, at Latham, so many of you are people just like that. Your word is your bond. You don't have to swear on your mother's grave in order for people to believe you because those who really know you know that you are a person whose native language is truth. Praise be to God for that. Praise be to God. Yes, yes. Praise God for that. But here's here's what I dream of. I dream of a day when it would just be consistent across the body of Christ that even the most hardened cynic out there in the culture who scoffs at what we believe would know this about us. If one of those Christ followers said it, you could take it to the bank because they are people of integrity. They tell the truth. God, help us to be that kind of people I thank you for those where you've already worked that kind of character in them. That character can be gone in a moment. Help us to be vigilant. Help us to always love the truth. And may that be our default, just truth, just honesty, just speaking the truth in love. May that be what we're about because we serve a God of truth. Father, I 
I ask that you would enhance the credibility of our witness so that Jesus Christ would receive praise and glory and honor because of the way we live. Oh, Father, this is our prayer. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen Amen. and amen.